Hello, and welcome to the WWIA podcast. We're honored to have you join us in our mission to bring honor, connection, and healing to America's combat-wounded Purple Heart heroes. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, we welcome you. If you're a returning listener, thanks for coming back. Please be sure to tell others about our podcast and leave us a review if you're enjoying what you're hearing. We have an exceptional episode for you today as WWIA founder and CEO John McDaniel welcomes a close friend and a true American patriot to the podcast, General Douglas Chrisman. Doug is a West Point graduate, having served more than 33 years in the Army, retiring as a Major General in 2021. Doug earned a master's degree in systems engineering from the University of Virginia, taught on the faculty at West Point, served two tours in the Pentagon, and was the senior U.S. Army officer assigned to the British Army. An Eagle Scout, former Scoutmaster and avid outdoorsman, Doug enjoys hunting, hiking, and backpacking, and recently completed several hundred miles on the Appalachian Trail. Since retiring from the Army, Doug divides his time and energy between helping to raise the next generation of Army leaders as an Army senior mentor, providing corporate leadership development to Fortune 500 companies as a senior advisor with Thayer Leadership, strategic advising as an independent consultant, and sharing his passion for the outdoors as an assistant manager for an outdoor gear store in Northern Virginia, where he now resides. Although a recent member of the WWIA Board of Directors, he's been involved with the growth and development of the foundation since its inception in 2007, and looks forward to helping guide its continued progression to honor, connect, and heal our nation's combat-wounded Purple Heart recipients. Let's jump into the conversation with John and Doug now. Hi, I'm John McDaniel, founder and CEO of the Wounded Warriors in Action Foundation, and this is our podcast, Honor, Connect, and Heal. You know, um, today is a very special day for me. It's the 19th of January. I don't know when you're listening to this, but 19 January 24. And I have with me um, one of my dearest friends, somebody that I've known for, oh, I, I, I will get to that, but I'm going to say it's probably 32 years because because Douglas is, is giving me the 32. So yeah, 32 years. Um, Douglas Chrisman, Douglas C. Chrisman who is uh, a retired Major General in the United States Army. And like I said, we've known each other for 32 years, and we're just going to chat. We're actually in my house right here in Apollo Beach. Um, Doug just arrived. He's been on business in Orlando, and he showed up uh, late this morning, and so we've just been hanging out, getting reacquainted. But welcome to the program, uh, Doug. It's an honor to have you here. It's great to see you. It's great to see you as well, John. It's great to be here in sunny Florida while uh, snow is falling through uh, you know most of the United States, including my home. Yeah, he, he Doug showed me a photograph from his wife Carolyn, who used to work for the foundation. Wonderful, delightful woman. Um, she, she sent Doug a photo of their house, and there's like a four feet of snow in their driveway. So we don't have that going on here, but. Uh, yeah, so you know, I want to just set the back the 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 backdrop here. You know, um, I, I'll just introduce it a little bit, and then I'll I'll turn the steering wheel over to Doug to fill in some of the blanks. But my first memory, by the way, you know, Doug's uh, on our board of directors. He's a retired major general, 
He's commanded at all levels uh, in the Army, just shy of the division level. So that means uh, brigade, battalion, several companies, multiple platoons, et cetera, et cetera. A combat veteran. How many? How many? How many combat tours do you do you have, Doug? Uh, I guess you 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 could say four. Uh, so three in Iraq and one in Afghanistan. Yeah, uh, that would be considered combat tours. Yeah. Master parachutist, all the scary stuff on your uniform that you you know you could imagine. A career infantry officer who made made it to the the rank of of major general. That's two star general, for those that are keeping track. Um, or don't know, but yeah, it's it's uh, an amazing accomplishment uh, what you've done. But let's go back to the our, the the time that we first met. So my recollection of that was that we met at the infantry officer advanced course at Fort Benning. Would you say that was like what ninety two ninety two ninety two time frame? And uh, we were in the same small group. It was maybe ten twelve cats in that class and um as you know that was our small group but the the, the overall number of students I, in that i always say well, i thought it was two or three hundred i don't know if it was that many or not yeah i think it was more like 130 140 okay. but, but in our yeah. in that particular class yeah but anyway that that class the class of 80 you were 88 guy i was 87 guy you were below the zone so you ended up you know, I think joining our my year group or something like that below the zone means he was promoted ahead of his peers, uh, which makes a lot of sense because uh, you're you know amazingly talented individual. But um, I remember meeting you for the first time, and I remember and Tom Cleary was our small group instructor. Most of us were really young captains, and we were getting ready to to command. And this course is about a year long where you know, you're learning the finer art, hopefully, of, of how to be a company commander you know, and get your first command. You know? And that's the big thing in the Army and in the infantry is to command troops. And, and we were in the same small group. And I remember looking around the class, you know, first day and several or a week as you're trying to figure out who's who in the zoo. And I'm like, that guy right there has switched on. That guy switched on. That guy. Okay, so there's three dudes in my assessment in that maybe four if you stretched it, that I thought were really, you know, superior officers, people that I admired and wanted to get to know, and, and, and you were one of them um, for certain. And Dixon Gunther was, was also in that class. We're all still lifetime friends. But what was your recollection of that first time? So, you know, similar, there we are, all uh, just finished being lieutenants. We're all brand new baby captains. We show up and literally everybody's come from all corners of the globe and, has, and, and we've done different things, but now there's this leveling activity. But you can't help, based on kind of who we are and how we're programmed, to sort of be looking to your left and looking to your right at what the competition is and right. who's, who's who. And and so I remember those days as well, and I remember looking at uh, at John as part of our uh, in our our small group, uh, the team that you're going to spend a lot of time with for uh, for the course. And I remember thinking, you know, like there's a peer who I want to lock arms with. There's a peer who is going to make me better um, through this experience, and you know, a lot of of self development. Uh, is a result of the people you're surrounding yourself with mm -hmm. and the, the rest of the student body um, that helps make you better 
mm-hmm. uh, as you as you address the course requirements. So, um, you know, that's kind of our, my feeling. And um, you know, frankly, you know, it was you know you and Dixon that uh, yeah were uh, you know the folks I I looked at in our small group and said, okay, like there's yep. there's my teammate. Yep. yep. Same same. You know, and we lived. Funny thing is that we lived at Whisperwood. As I remember, we did in Georgia. Yeah, like, this is like Fort Benning, Georgia, across the parking. We were right lot, across yeah, the parking yeah. lot. And you, yeah, and I remember that uh, you you have a um, uh, you have a son and a daughter, and and Garrett and Haley, and and Garrett I think was born first, right? And I while remember while we were there, while we were there, yeah. Like, and I remember I'll tell you, that, I, I, I got a good story for you. So. Like uh, a lot of the guys, I would say half, maybe fifty percent or so, were married. You know, and that what age were we? Would you say? Uh, so we were what four years in the army. So we were probably what like twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight. Yeah. Okay. So you know, young men, and um, and I remember about half the population being married. And at the time, I was like, married? Yeah, I don't even. That's not even on my radar. Like I. I had enough trouble. I figured like I have enough trouble just keeping track of myself. Like, like I knew that I need to be able to take like all, all possible energy that I have and focus it on doing well in this course and getting through it and all that. And I just thought, you know, wow, you know, having a, you know, a, a marriage to manage and, and do all that um, was just really literally like beyond me. I was like, I don't think I could do that. I don't, I don't think I could, I don't think I could give the right amount of energy to being a military officer and uh, you know, devote my life to a, to a woman and be married and have a family at that stage of my life. And here's you like, you know, I remember with this baby and I was just like looking at, you know, like you're, he's scoring higher on all the tests, the PT tests, all the, the scores, I mean, you're doing better than me on everything, and he has a child. And I remember we had this big problem. Uh, it was a tactical exercise without troops. They call it a toot. And we were supposed to, like, brief our solution set, and we're out at the mount site. And you had told me, like, that day, you're like, dude, I, uh, I, I, you know, Gary was up all night long, you know, he's sick, and, you know, how I got no sleep. And, and you could just look at you, and you're like, man, that guy's looking rough. You know, and here I was all, you know, Peter Cottontail ready to rock and roll. And you got up and did your, did your thing with your, you know, terrain board and how you were going to attack this problem. And I just, you needed it like flawlessly. And I'm like, yeah, well, that guy's clearly got something that I don't have. But, uh, you know, I, I, I really always admired you because you always say, you know, Doug's the guy that always has the right answer. You know, it's not 52, it's like 52.65, you know, and I'm like, I just knew that it was around 50 whatever <laughs> but uh anyway so you you had garrett and then and then haley and then uh you know so so let me let me ask you 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 because i don't remember um I, I mean if you put my feet to the fire i i reckon i could get it right but you left the advanced course okay and and then you went on to go command where, where did you go was it germany no it's a the 82nd at Fort oh Frank. I thought you went to 80, I thought you were at the 82nd before, you were mech before, you were 4ID yeah. as a lieutenant. Yeah. Okay. And then, so the advanced course and then 82nd. Mm-hmm. Aha. Uh-huh. And your dad was, you know, was, is a retired military officer. Yes. 82nd guy. No. No? Fort, Fort Bragg, but not 82nd. Never served in 82nd. Okay. Was, uh, was in... Well, West Point officer? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, 
so anyway, uh, D- Doug, Doug is a, a West Point officer. And for those that don't know, it's one of the, you know, the fi- it's probably the finest, uh, you know, if not the one of the top, you know, three to five, you know, higher education institutes on the planet. And you go to West Point, first off, it's, it's almost impossible to get into it. But if you do get into the academy, you know, you, you end up, you know, then upon graduation, I think you guys owe the, the, is your service obligation five at that point? At that point, it was five years. It's a little different now. They've okay. had, got some different different contracts that you can enter into, yeah. different different paths. But yeah, it was five years back five then. Five years. And so, all right, so you, get, you, you, you do your lieutenant time, you go to the advanced course, we meet, you go off to the 82nd to command. And you command at the 82nd. Yep. And that obviously goes well for you. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, did you Great. get a second company command? No, I didn't. I left after a single company command, had just uh, had two years of that in a rifle company, and then went to grad school uh, at the University of Virginia, and then had the opportunity to go teach at West Point for a couple of years. And then, yeah. and then we met up again at, at Fort Leavenworth for CGSC. That's right. Yeah. That's so that's right. kind of when our, our paths actually collided again was 99, 2000 yeah, there that's at Fort right. Leavenworth. Well, let me add, yeah. So we have a lot, 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 lot of common space uh, and a lot of common terrain that we've you know traversed together. But let me ask. Let's let's talk about company command for just a second because we got a lot we got a lot to talk about. But um, I'm really interested in in your thoughts. Okay, you commanded. That's the highest level I ever commanded. Okay, I did two company commands. Uh, both airborne. Uh, Charlie 1501, and then the Division uh, Long Range Surveillance Detachment. So I, I have, what, what is that, like the commands back then were, are they a year or two? Yeah, year well, and a half? I would say if you got a second command, sometimes they pull you out at 12, but yeah. often you're, you know, 18 months each or so. Yeah, I th- I can't remember. I think I was, I, I, I know I was probably pretty close to, to, to uh, three years total in command, you know, between the two, I reckon. And I've got some, I've got, I could talk for days about leading, you know, uh, commanding a company. Um, and, and, and I remember back then, the Army kind of dangled that in front of us, like, hey, this is the biscuit, man. If you do well here in command at the company level, that's going to make or break your career. Like, I think that's pretty true, isn't it? I think if it's you, the first real test of one's um, leadership ability. I mean, you lead as a platoon leader, you lead really as a staff officer, right. you know, so hopefully if you're doing well, you're leading in everything that you're doing. But, you know, company command is the first uh, real um, crucible of mm-hmm. leadership in the Army. And um, if you do well there, then it allows you to continue to do well yeah. as a major, uh, again, as a staff officer, but an important one. Yeah. Um, and and if you put those two uh, opportunities together and you you do well with them, then then you know those are the the folks you get a chance to hopefully command again later yeah. later on at the battalion level. Yeah. So the eighty second Airborne, and I'm sure a lot of folks that are listening to this go, yeah, I've heard I've heard of that, or I know that, or I served there. Uh, I know I was never an eighty second guy, but um, I have lots of folks that I know, you know, haven't come in and gone in in and out of the airborne community myself but that was a 
I remember guys going to 82nd Airborne out of, out of uh, the advanced course were like, yeah, as probably outside of maybe the Rangers, you know, and you couldn't go from the advanced course to the Ranger regiment. You had to go command someplace first and then go to and volunteer and be accepted back at, and or to the Rangers to, to command there uh, as a second command. But the 82nd clearly was like the one spot that, I mean, I was just going to say it, all the best officers went. You know, I mean, you couldn't, like, just, I don't know how that happened for you. I mean, did you just tell somebody, hey, I want to go to the 82nd, or they said, they told you you were going to the 82nd? I mean, how'd that work? Do you remember? Yeah, I don't know. I, I just know, uh, you know, back then we were still balancing uh, sort of uh, time in light units versus time in heavy right. units. And That's so right. Light units being, yeah. you know, airborne, air assault, and straight light infantry, and then heavy units being those that, that operate in, in mechanized vehicles, the Bradley fighting vehicle, or back then, you know, the M113. And, you know, fortunately, um, I had, I was in a good position because I'd been to a heavy unit out at Fort Carson, Colorado, in 4th Infantry Division as a lieutenant, and therefore was in a position to at least raise my hand and say, I'd like to go to a light assignment now. Mm -hmm. And my first choice is, um, and, you know, it worked out. Doesn't, you know, it, 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 it doesn't always work out, as yeah, we know, yeah. but, uh, you know, sometimes the planets align and you get a chance to go to the place that you'd most like to go. So, um, you know, but folks who had just left the 82nd or folks who had been in another light unit as lieutenants didn't have the same ability to ask to go mm -hmm. to uh, uh, the 82nd. So I, I was in a good position to be able to ask for it. So set the stage for us, man. I mean, this is, what time frame is this that you're commanding? This is like 90... So this was, uh, well, you and I both spent some time uh, on division staffs yeah. uh, immediately after the advanced course, so uh, upon arrival in our respective units. So I spent over a year on the in the division headquarters. Chewing glass and, and juggling yeah, chainsaws. You know, just, you know, the only thing worse than being a captain on a division staff is is, a, is being a major on a division staff, uh, um, which I got man. a chance to do later on. Yeah. Um, but uh, brutal. Uh, yeah, so I spent over a year waiting in line to... Earn the opportunity to go down, and you better perform. Sure, because if you don't perform right. on that division it's, staff, you're not getting a company, or or if you do get a company, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, that, that there were I knew guys, we both knew guys, but that they're looking at you. It's like paying penance, right? I mean, you're going to pay your dues, earn your stripes. They're going to send you to the division staff, or some staff usually. You know, you're going to do some staff time before you command at the at whatever division you're at. We both did it. And Dixon used to, you know, used to say, I don't know, I, I'm pretty sure it was Dixon had to be. He was like, you know, because we both worked in the G3 at 6th ID as battle captains, and it was brutal, man. But he used to say it was like juggling chainsaws and glass balls. It was just a matter of time before something shattered or you lost a limb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you, I, know? you know, and I did, I did 15 months in the G3 of the 82nd, brutal. And, you know, ran the... Divisions Assault CP ran the Division ZG program and was a battle captain in the Division Tactical. Yeah, that's what we ta did. Tac CP and yeah. you know those were all great jobs. Yeah. Looking back, but in execution day to day, you were just like, oh my goodness, when when will this end? And when do I get my you know my my reward, my penance uh, uh. To, to go down and actually serve in one of these great battalions and and um, you know get a chance to lead a company, but. Fortunately, you know, that, that happened after, after 15 long months and yeah. I ended up 
taking command of a rifle company of paratroopers 10 days before I loaded up that same group, 104 of them on this particular day, and uh, flew along with a whole bunch of other people uh, to uh, uh, towards Haiti when we were going to do the airborne invasion oh, of yeah. uh, Haiti and uh, route. Uh, so and, you guys, uh, you actually lo went green ramp, yeah, loaded up, loaded air, up, and, and, and took then off. took off. Yeah, so I was in magazines uh, loaded and all that. Yep, and I was in. Uh, I was yeah, there. Were sixty-two C-130s that left from Pope Air Force Base. Sixty-two. Sixty-two. The division was jumping in. The, the eight of the nine infantry battalions were involved. Two different drop zones. Four battalions on. Going to jump into Haiti. We're going to jump into Port-au-Prince International Airport with four, and then uh, there were, uh, I think, uh, an additional three, or going in a different drop zone. And, uh, so anyway, it was a big. It was to be a big operation, and of course, as everyone, well, as most many will remember, uh, you know, the, the, the the whole invasion, uh, the airborne invasion of uh, Haiti, became. Unnecessary because uh, Colin Powell ended up brokering a, a last-minute deal. Um, I think it was uh, you know um, Colin Powell and, and President uh, former President Jimmy Carter ended up talking uh, Raul Sadrus and other key leaders off of the ledge there at the last minute. Probably we, showed them a photograph of the or a, a image. Oh, of they the, basically said, "Hey, the 82nd has taken off." Yeah. Um, and they are in the air right now. Um, and when they can, land, they're can, not. You can stop not, this now, yeah. and we can all go home, and you know, uh, or this won't end well for you. Um, right. And uh, so they, we turned around somewhere over Key West, and and we're told, "Hey, stand by. We might have to re-execute this tomorrow if they mm -hmm. renege on whatever they agreed to." Mm -hmm. And uh, that was ten days into company command for me. So wow, a, a great, a great way to start, or yeah, you know, interesting way to take over your unit. Wow. Uh, I, I appreciate you sharing that uh, with with us because I, I mean, I vaguely remember um, that. It was a long time ago, um, but I, I guess I and I knew that you would. Uh, I, I knew that you guys went green ramp. I, I just uh, I appreciate you um, refreshing my memory on that. Well, this is what I wanted to ask you about command, because uh, you know we'll fast forward here in a second to commanding at the battalion and then. The brigade level, because uh, you know there are people I'm sure listening to this that don't really have an understanding of what that means. But at the company level, I mean, it's plus or minus about 120. Would you say 120, 25, something like that? Paratroopers or or soldiers that you're in charge of, and as a company commander, you know you have what they call U UCMJ authority. That's Uniform Code of Military Justice. So. Like you can take their rank if they screw something up bad enough. You can take their money. You know, um, you can give them extra duty. There's all kinds of things that you can do as a company commander that are is essentially like punishment, right? But you have that authority. That's it's a real authority. <laughs> um, and, and so, and the soldiers know that they they do know that. Um, but that's kind of a unique thing. Uh, but we're all like probably. The advanced course prepared us to command, but when you're in command, you're faced with all kinds of things that you're just not prepared for. Like you didn't, it's not in the book. You would have never thought this was going to happen. And I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I, here's what I'd like you to, I'd, I'd like you to uh, discuss for a minute. But if, if you had to say one thing about command, you know, that challenged you the most, you know, just in general terms, and you, you know, maybe start back, you know, as a captain, 
um, because then I'm going to ask you, you know, to fast forward to the brigade level, because at the brigade level, you're commanding, what is it, like 720 or? Uh, no, no. Battalion 720. Battalion 720. But the brigade was what? Uh, it, depending on the size of your brigade and yeah. whatever else you might have, about 4,000. Okay. Commanding 4,000 mm -hmm. troops. Wow. Yeah, which is a lot different than 125. Okay, that's my point, right? So just about, if you, I know it's probably stretching your memory banks a little bit, but what was the biggest challenge you found in, you know, command? Something that, you know, you look back on and you go, you know, I was ill-prepared for that. I didn't see that coming. I didn't think that was going to be so hard. Anything come to mind? Well, I think, um, you know, first of all, the size uh, and scope of a company um, really sort of dictates that you are spending um 80% of your time probably on what I would call direct leadership, meaning just, hey, look, follow me, do as mm -hmm. I do, uh, and I'm walking point. You're not, as a company yeah, yeah. commander, walking point, but but you are very much a visible, um, Accessible ex and visible. example of yeah. what you want everybody to be doing. Um, literally, like the direction you're moving, um, the, the 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 you know the way you present yourself in your uniform, the way you are able to demonstrate mastery of a certain set of skills. As a company commander, there's very little difference between the skills that you've got to master and the skills of the rest of the 120 people who yeah. you are leading. And therefore, uh, there's very little distance between them and you. And mm -hmm. and that that's that's the, the the space of direct leadership and. Uh, yeah. So, you know, what do I remember about that? Uh, you know, if challenge, I were to, if the, I were to replay, yeah, re, if I were to replay that, I, you know, I would say, um, you know, uh, it's about communicating with clarity uh, and, re, and and coming up with those two or three things that you are really trying to get done in any given week or month and say, look, I've only, the Army is only going to allow me to lease this company. They don't get you don't get to buy it. You don't even get to rent it with an option to buy. It's it's the army's company and you are privileged to lease it for 18 months maybe. And therefore you got to pick two or three things that you want to get done this month and two or three things you want to get done next month and you got to communicate with clarity how you want to get those things done and then it's about, you know, direct leadership, uh troop leading procedures mm -hmm. and, and just you know Having the persistence and the and the the peace of mind and uh, uh, and the ability to kind of read the room and by read the room I mean um, you got humans uh, yeah. and you got to play the cards you're dealt and every company is not created equal and it comes with a set of leaders that you inherit and they are your enablers to help achieve your vision which oh by the way is someone else's vision which you just have a piece of and you have to be able to figure out how to deal the cards you're dealt to achieve mm -hmm. those effects. And um, I, I will say, I, you know, I, I probably didn't get that. I probably got that wrong as, as much as I got it right. And that's very much, you know, command and direct leadership is very much a human endeavor. Mm -hmm. um, and it's about, um, in, in the end, it's about imposing your will on an organization that, but, but your will is generally informed by, uh, you know the, the the guidance and the example of of whoever you're working for, and and that that vision that you're trying to help them realize, um, and you know, how you communicate that why to 
inform and fuel the, the, the motivation of the team that's basically just saying, okay, boss, where, where are we going today? What do you need us to do? Um, and why? Uh, everybody, I think, performs a little bit better if they understand, they understand the why. So, I don't know, that's a long answer to your question. Right. So, it's what I want to know now. Because I don't have the experience of commanding uh, a battalion or much less a brigade. Um, I was uh, doing other things uh, that weren't like that, sort of, kind of. But um, if you had to look at you know your, your time as a captain um, and that command experience, and then fast forward, I'm going to skip right over the battalion for a moment. <clears throat> Bengori to the brigade as a colonel, full colonel, commanding you know four thousand troops in combat. You know those two scenarios, you know, captain to colonel, <laughs> 124 paratroopers to a you know a brigade size combat unit of 4,000 plus troops. I mean, they're dramatically different. The leadership, uh, you know, the, the, the leadership that you have to bring to bear, you know, versus the direct leadership, hey, follow me, do as I do, you know, I'm the example. There's still some of that, you know, clearly at the, at the brigade level and certainly more so at the battalion level. But just tell, tell us about, that experience as as a brigade commander in combat, what does that leadership picture look like? You know, I mean, you were the last, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, you were the last brigade combat team out of Iraq, right? The first time. Yep, 2011. 2011. Okay. Lots of experience there. You performed, obviously, very well. You would have never made general officer. Um, but... What's that like? What what is that leadership experience like at the at the brigade level in a in a combat team compared to you know a company commander? I mean, I know that's a that, that there's a big gap there, and I'm, I don't want to press you with a hard question, but that 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 one right there to me is like I don't have the experience, but you do. So tell us about that that difference in the leadership that you know you have to you know, produce and, and bring to bear on the brigade combat team versus what you had to do as a company commander to give our listening audience a kind of a perspective on all of that. Oh, that's a great question. And, uh, I, you know, I would try to uh, uh, capture that by saying it's uh, the it, it's the art at the brigade level or, or any large organization. Um, it's the art of indirect leadership at that point. Um, you still have to know what right looks like, and you still have to have demonstrated competency and mastery of, of, of many of the skills for which your brigade is now responsible for. Um, and, and your ability to have that level of competence and occasionally, when necessary, demonstrate that you understand uh, the tools of your trade and, 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 and committed those tasks and conditions and standards to memory as a company level commander when you were a direct leader. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but we, you know, the army uh, needs you to do that less as a brigade commander. In fact, uh, you know, as a brigade commander, what they need you to do is manage the resources that all those other companies, you know, inside of my brigade, I had 36 companies and those 36 companies, meaning 36 different company commanders, 36 different company commanders. Like I was when I was a captain, right. you know, so 36 different, 
which captains. is way out of your span of control. Right. Your yeah. span so, of control is still yeah, three right. to five. Right? And so there's a battalion commander in between me and them. Yep. And, and so I am um, all you know at that level. The, the army doesn't want me to to be micromanaging 36 companies. No. Uh, even though I you know feel like I was a pretty decent company commander and you know could go and. Sure. And take over their job if I needed to, but that's not what the army needed me to do. Right. What the army needed me to do was figure out how to um, assess, measure, um, and decide the optimal allocation of resources to enable the success of those thirty-six companies inside of six, sometimes seven battalions. And that took a leader who'd been around the block enough mm -hmm. and had led at those levels and had enough experience to kind of say. Okay, look, I, 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 you know, I'm the one who sits at this level and helps ensure the success of all these subordinate organizations. Mm -hmm. These are the things I'm looking for. These are the signs I'm watching for. These are the indicators that all is not well at this level. Here's how I know. Here's how I can sense that. Mm -hmm. And here's what I'm going to do about it. And here's how I can mitigate that risk that I'm seeing in this organization. And here's how maybe I just have a a coaching conversation with the, 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 the leader in between me and that company that I see may be struggling. And maybe all I need to say is, you know, um, you know, three sentences to that leader and he or she picks it up and sort of says, okay, yep, got it. I missed that sign boss, but I got it now. I'm on it. I'm, you know, mm -hmm. and problem solved, uh, but perhaps left unnoticed or un, uh, corrected. Uh, we might've had a, a bigger issue. So, um, you know, many people are successful at being wonderful direct leaders uh, when direct leadership is what their job requires. Mm -hmm. Many of those successful direct leaders can then be also successful when the majority of their job requires proficiency at indirect leadership. Um, and But some can't. Yeah. You, know, you talk about that great NCO who was incredible as a platoon sergeant, um, also excellent as a first sergeant, but when the army made him a sergeant major, like he 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 just couldn't make that leap yeah. to the indirect type of leadership and influence and resourcing that um, that uh, they call that the Peter principle, right? Isn't that the Peter principle that you know I, I, every individual in every hierarchy will have a ten or has a tendency to rise to their level of incompetence? <laughs> Well, well, you know, it goes both ways. It's yeah, not just the NCOs, obviously. Yeah. There's a lot of officers that fits that, you know, that or individuals not even in the military. But yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. So l let me let me let me ask you, um, you know, this, uh, you know, on on your military, you know, career, and then we'll we'll move on because, you know, the 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 reality is is that you and I are have been hunting buddies for as long as we've known each other. You're you're an avid sportsman. You're on the board of directors. Um, for the foundation, and uh, you know, we we got a lot to to talk about there. I think that's um, obviously that's a, a a bond that we share and enjoy you know, together. But you get promoted to to general officer, right? I mean, that, I, I mean, when I heard that, I was like, wow, you know, I mean, that one that makes sense. Um, you know, obviously, very very proud of your uh, accomplishment there and your service to our nation, but. I, for everybody else out there, man, what's it like to be a general officer? What's well, that like? I mean, first of all, it, I mean, it, it's just a great, um, 
it's a great honor and, and a humbling opportunity and one that, uh, uh, you know, certainly it, no one plans on. You just sort of are, mm -hmm. are, are, are uh, doing the right thing. At least that was my approach was, hey, what, you take one job and, and one promotion uh, at a time and, uh, you know, uh, think about what, what you think might be next, but you're not thinking 12 moves down the road. You're just thinking about, Hey, look, I want to command this company to the best of my ability. And then, you know, if that allows me to become a major one day and then do that job as well as I can, well then great. You know, uh, but yeah, I, 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 uh, I was as surprised as the next guy. Um, you know, they say, uh, 1% of our officer corps gets a chance one day to, to be promoted to general. And so because there's so much talent in that, mm -hmm. in that, in that group, uh, and there's so much of life and reality and, um, luck and, uh, circumstance that is part of the equation. Um, uh, I recognize that when the list of, uh, names came out for my year for promotion to brigadier general and there were somewhere between 35 and 40 names on it we picked uh, the army picks about 35 or 40 people a year to be promoted to brigadier general um in the active component and i knew that for every name on that list of 35 or 40 there were four other names on there that whose files were just as good whose whose capability whose, whose capabilities background experience reputation was just as good um you know so for the the 35 or 40 that we picked i mean the army's got 200 others that uh, if we put all those people on a bus and somehow that bus mm. um you know got got hit on, on on the way to their uh their their promotion ceremony there'd be 35 more standing in the door ready to step in who are just as good um what's it like to put on a star on your hat on your on your on your cap or your beret for the first time and walk around on a military installation. I mean, that's got to yeah, be pretty it's just cool, a bit, right? It's just a bit surreal because you know. I mean, for, did people for years, treat you different? You, did you get but, treated different? You had to, right? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you that's, absolutely did because right, you know, there's there's you know there, there, you, you talk about a division of twenty thousand soldiers, you yeah. know, sixteen to twenty thousand soldiers in uh, in an active duty army division. There's three generals, yeah, and there's twenty thousand soldiers running around. Right, so yeah. just the fact that like you are now one of them yeah, right. and you're one of these people that you typically thought of as a picture on the wall uh or uh you know somebody's uh, it, it, you know the, the the flag that flew in front of a headquarters and somebody told you who that flag belonged to right but you just you know the fact that now all of a sudden you are that person um it was it, you know there's certainly a bit of uh surreal uh feeling but uh, i think you know, most of us, myself included, just tried to say, okay, hey, look, you know, we still put our pants on one leg at a time, like yeah. everybody else. I'm no different today than I was when I was a colonel, than I was when I was a major. Yeah, we got a lot more experience. Yeah, we've 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 covered a lot more ground and chewed a lot more glass that has prepared us for this enterprise level leadership experience now. And the army's asking a lot more of us. Uh, but um, we were cautioned. Uh, at least I was, you know, we are all a product of our experience and we're all, uh, as leaders, we were, I was fortunate to be developed by a lot of great mm -hmm. young, uh, a lot of great leaders that, that, that kept me from doing stupid things. Or when I did do stupid things, told me the errors of my ways and set me back on the right course and modeled professional and appropriate, mm -hmm. um, and competent behavior. 
and I kind of was like, okay, well, that's what right looks like. And, you know, you're a colonel, then you'll be doing stuff like that colonel because he's got his mm -hmm. stuff squared away. You know, if you ever get a chance to be a general, like that's what they do. And that general just had a huge impact on you. Okay, how did they do it? What did it feel like? Uh, okay, now you are that person. Use your rank for good. How do you use your rank in a way that's going to positively impact those that you encounter? And, um, you know, you try your best to deliver on that. Mm-hmm. You know, the, uh, I was, I, I always said when I thought about leadership, you know, the one thing, the default that, that always came to my mind and still pretty much does to this day is, you know, the Army's definition of leadership, which is, you know, essentially provide, you know, purpose, direction, and motivation for, you know, a common cause, you know, if you will, the mission, whatever that is. Um, but, you know, I think they've since modified it a little bit or whatever, but, but, but that was the accepted, you know, the doctrinally accepted, you know, uh, you know, 770 or whatever the field manual was on leadership for the Army and the infantry. But, it, but really, I, you know, it, it also, most importantly, those things are all true, purpose, direction, motivation, but it's all about influence, right? I mean, that's what this is about, influencing, you know, the outcome of an activity. You know, whatever that is, it's a brigade mission, it's a platoon mission, it's a fill in the blank, you know, it's a business development thing. You know, it's this idea of, of influence. And, and I think that's, uh, you know, um, there's an art and a science to that as well. But on the topic of influence and on the topic of leadership, let me ask you, you know, you've had, you've been exposed to, you know, many, many leaders, more than I have, because your career, I, I ended up at 20, as you know, jokingly or cavalierly say 20 years and 20 minutes, and I was out, but you went on for how long? 33 and a half. Well, so you got 13, you know, and a half more years uh, of active federal service than I do, which is a ton more. God bless you. You've been exposed to a you know, a lot more leaders than, than, than I ever was. But let me ask you, you know, and if you don't want to drop names, you don't have to have to do it. But, you know, people who had the most influence over your career, I mean, if you had to name two or three, um, you know, individuals at whatever level, maybe it was an NCO, you know, maybe it was a soldier, maybe it was a senior officer, I, I don't know. Um, who who would those individuals be, and and can you give me an example uh, of a point in time where their influence, you know, what they did to influence the outcome of something or influence you? Uh, could you give us an example of something that really sort of resonates with you to this day? You know, well, I I, I would hesitate to name names, but I'll certainly um, uh, identify some. Um... Uh, uh, some groups. And, uh, you know, I would say that, uh, you know, as I, as I got ready to transition and retire from my uniform service and, uh, you know, trying to think about how I want to tie a bow on that, on that uh, time, I, 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 I was gathering my uh, thoughts to put together a you know, retirement ceremony, say a few words in front of the you know, people, you know, friends, family, colleagues, and, and um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you start to think about who you want to invite to that ceremony. And um, I, 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 many of those 
people that you're talking about, NCOs, mm -hmm. um, officers uh, that were bosses, superior officers, mm -hmm. and and peers too. I mean, you know, yeah, you yeah. you among them. Um, you know, so I think there's three different uh, groups. There's those that you that work for you who can teach you great lessons about leadership and mm -hmm. can make you yeah. uh, better because of the of the wise counsel that they provide. And yep. um, and and so are we wise enough to uh, allow it and be approachable so that the people who work for us um, are, are willing to provide us that that um, candid feedback? And then are we willing to actually accept it and say, yeah, you know, you're right, platoon sergeant. You're right, first sergeant. You're right, sergeant major. Yeah. Like, thanks for bringing that up. And, thanks for having you know, the guts or the right. candor or the whatever it took, right. the, the, and, the cojones yeah. to, to tell me that that, that finger, that button yeah. that I got my finger on isn't a, isn't a push to talk button. It's a release to listen. And you ought to use it sometimes, sir. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. You know, so That's I a was, good point. I was blessed with two great first sergeants in in uh, those two years of command in the 82nd. Um, and, you know, kept in touch with both of them for years, and and one of them was actually able to come to my retirement ceremony. Um, you know, at uh, you know, 20 years later. Wow. Um, and each of them, in their own way, they were two different leaders, which required mm -hmm. that I be a different commander as their mm -hmm. battle buddy. And uh, they each led in a different way, which which allowed me or required that as as a team we you know I I uh, led a little differently, but each of them taught me um, some valuable lessons mm -hmm. about about small unit leadership and about mm -hmm. dealing with people, solving problems, uh, setting priorities, communicating clearly, um, and uh, picking your battles. I mean, I can think of a number of lessons from those folks. So mm -hmm. those are people who work for you who can make you a better leader then i would offer that your peers are a powerful group similar to the lesson or the example i gave about you know you go to a college or grad school or you go to a training course you know there's the the, the, the teachers the faculty who provide the instruction uh, that 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 ultimately gives you some sort of certification and allows you to graduate from the class or get this degree or whatever it is but then there's the other people in the room with you that are your classmates, teammates, and and you know, the learning experience is uh, enhanced if you got good teammates who can just make that experience better. And you know, all through my career, I was always blessed with, um, you know, the Army's a great place where, uh, as you said, there's just there, there were a lot of talented people, and it was always I was always able to find a couple of great teammates that mm -hmm. I could set my sights on or with. In every unit. But in every in, unit. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, like yeah. you and I, we we often were not, and I don't think we were ever in the same unit, but we were mm -hmm. in the same army and often at the same place. Um, and, and so we were able to, even though we weren't in the same unit, kind of share lessons learned, share observations, yeah. share thoughts about command at the company level, for example, share thoughts about, mm -hmm. um, you know, leadership lessons and things we were dealing with. And I, I feel like my peers absolutely, number one, made me better, but they also challenged me to get better myself mm -hmm. because I was looking to my left and right and saying, all right, well, that's, that's, that, that, that's the standard and, well, you know, I got to move out. And then the last category, of course, would be the, 
um, you know, your bosses, the people whose job it is to make you better, mm -hmm. the people whose job it is to train you to take their job one day, yep. to, to identify for the Army who it is that is most worthy of moving to the next level. That's their job. And they have to have a bit of, uh, okay, it's not just about performance. It's as much about potential. It's not just about getting the job done. It's about connecting with those that he or she leads. And um, uh, I had, I was fortunate to have some, uh, some great mentors in that space, um, many of whom um, I, I was uh, thankful were able to come to my retirement ceremony and, uh, you know, kind of, they, I, I could probably say there, there are, there were five to 10 who I would kind of put on that all-star list. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, many of them I met and we maintained a relationship over 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and some, all of them I'm still in touch with today in, in a, in one way or another. And, yeah. um, uh, each of them, you know, kind of, um, helped buff off some rough edges along the way. Yeah, it's funny because you mentioned those three groups. That's really, it's really, I, I, I wouldn't have put it that way. And I, so I, I appreciate you sharing that with us because I, I think you're absolutely right. You know, you, you know, you, you can learn, you know, learn very, very valuable lessons from, you know, the people that work for you if you're in a leadership position. And then your peers, like, right, that's a huge group. And then, of course, your bosses. So the one thing about the peers, the peer group that I've always found fascinating is I would tell you that that I I think to me um, I I'm sure you did too. You mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast. This idea of you know looking around and figuring out who's who in the zoo and uh, you know I would measure myself into this day. You know maybe not so much because you know my peer group's a little bit fuzzy at this point. You know, um, but when you're wearing a uniform and you're in the basic course, advanced course in a company in a battalion, fill in the blank. As an infantry officer, you know, I don't think you, you can't help but measure yourself against your peer group. How did he do on his PT test? How did he do at the rifle range? How did his company do with this? How did his battalion do with that? You know, what does his uniform look like? What's he got on it? What medals does he have, you know, that I don't have? What opportunities, you know? So we're always measuring ourselves, at least I was, by what other people were doing because they're like, hey, if you want to be at the top, Okay, of that is a very competitive place that we found ourselves, right? As infantry officers in the Airborne Ranger community. I mean, that's that that's about as knuckle dragon meat eating as you can get. And it's very competitive. And and um and so when you're looking at the guys that are, you know, shining or outperforming, um, you know, that's great motivation for for everybody. At least it certainly was, you know, for me. But the one thing about your peer group that's different about those other two groups, the, those that work for you and those that you work for, is that you can't fool your peer group. You can fool your subordinates. You can fool your boss bosses. You know, but, and I say fool them by like, you know, hey, you know, making something perhaps appear like something that it isn't. You know, I don't know. I, you know, I, I've never been a person that wanted to fool anybody, you know, um, but you know, you, but you can't fool your peer group. Like you, we know where you're strong. We know where your peer group knows where you're strong and knows where you're weak. And especially in, in the small circles that we ran, 
that's the toughest crowd I've ever been part of. And I loved it. But I graduated, or I mean, I, I gravitated towards that peer group for a very important, for me, for a reason. Because I wanted to be in that group. I wanted to have that kind of uh, pressure. I wanted to be amongst people that were that good or that, that were better than me. And that was a monster motivator for me personally. I don't know about your experience, but the peer group, you know, my our peer group, you're always looking around, you know, like, you know, how do he do? Or, you know, or what's he doing, you know, sort of thing. And you could tell the top, you know, five, six percent of us, whoever they were, um, that, that were really outperforming. And, and they're all shades of gray. Unless you were wearing a uniform and you were, you know, there witnessing whatever it was, you know, it would probably not be evident that that person was better or did better at something than, than, than the other guy did. Um, so anyway, I just always thought that that was, you know, I thought when you were talking about the, the three different, you know, groups and, and influence um, and leadership, I, I just, I think the peer group for me was probably the strongest <clears throat> or biggest influencer in my life uh, or career and certainly to my, li my life. You know, I don't have... Um, you know, we in the army are talking about mentors. You know, your bosses are mentors, and you know, you know, being playing the role of mentor, which you and I are familiar with, and we do it all the time, um, I'm sure. But um, you know, I, I could, I don't really have. I'm, I don't, you probably do, but I, I mean, I don't really have like you know, mentors like senior you know, three and four star dudes that I might call up and go, hey, sir, I need your advice on this. Or what do you think about that? And that I don't have that. I don't know. Do you have that? Yeah, I do. And, uh, you know, some of those folks, uh, you know, and it's not about rank. I mean, you know, I've, right. got, I've got some folks who I declare mentors who who retired uh, after very successful careers, but didn't make general. But, right. but they were a boss of mine who, sure. um, you know, was a formative influence on my yeah. That's true. Life. I have that. And, I do have and, that. You know, so whether it's a, yeah, you know, it might be point. an old friend of the family or it might yeah. be an uncle or, yeah. uh, you know, uh, the sheriff from your old hometown who yeah. was was uh, instrumental yeah. in getting you to join the military or yeah. you know, whatever it is. I mean, mentors come in. Yeah. They don't necessarily have to all be former bosses. They could just be someone who who, who you want to be like in some way or, yeah, or whose a, wisdom and point. guidance you benefited from. Yeah. Um, Actually, back I, to have, your, I do have a to, few people to, like that. To your point about peers, I mean, I think that's a great point. And it is the group uh, most overlooked uh, when you are looking for, okay, I, you know, how do I get better? How do I yeah. uh, set my sights on on where I want to be? Um, you often think about what your boss thinks. That's generally the first thing. I don't know. How am I, how am I doing? I, you know, my boss seems happy. Oh, my boss you know, kind of chewed me out last week. Or, mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm not in a good place. We always think about what our bosses think, and, and hopefully mm -hmm. we have a good sense of where we are there. Mm -hmm. Next, we think about those that we lead, and hopefully we, we, we want to be respected, trusted, admired um, by those that we lead. And, mm -hmm. and you know, it's, it's not an easy task, but, like, we also think about that. We don't always think about, about what our peers think of us. And I used to tell uh, at various levels. I mean, I think the first place where it made sense uh, or where I remember having uh, a conversation with a group was, uh, you know, as a brigade commander, when I was responsible to be the, the senior raider 
for majors. And so all the majors in the brigade got senior aided by me. And that meant that I was the, 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 the boss's boss. Okay. They each had a boss who was a Lieutenant Colonel. And then me who would ultimately be uh, someone who contributed fairly significantly to writing their report card, their annual mm -hmm. officer evaluation report. That, that was something that went in their file um, and, and, uh, and contributed to the strength of their file and, and determined what their future might be. And I told that group, I said, okay, look, um, all, all of you, you know, we used to have the ratings block check, right? So, you know, you, oh, were, you, yeah. were you top third, middle third, bottom third? Were mm. you what we used to call a one block? Were you, uh, yep. you know, center mass? I mean, you know, we had, we had different flavors of it. But oh, yeah. at some point, your boss, if it's, you know, if you work at Home Depot, you got a boss. And that boss is responsible for some number of people. And at some point, his boss or her boss is going to ask her, hey, who's your number one? And if you work at Home Depot and your boss has 10 people who are like you, well, well like you ought to know where you fall in that group of 10. If you want to one day get a raise or mm. one day get a promotion or one day be offered an opportunity that is yeah. typically offered to the top tier as opposed to the middle tier or the bottom tier. So um, you got to sort of know where you stand amongst your peers. Um, but I, I would often tell this group of majors, I would say, hey, look, all of you think you deserve to be in the top third, but only 30% of you, 33% of you can be in the top third. You know, your wives or your significant others, you know, uh, and your mothers also think you deserve to be in the top third because they love you and they've known you for, you know, your whole life and they think you're wonderful. The reality is that, like, you know, you all will help me determine who the top third uh, actually mm. is. So I want you to be good teammates. I want you to, you know, be competitive with your teammates, but like actually figure out ways to make each other better as a group and uh, not be competitive to a fault. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, uh, you know, it, it's like uh, being in, um, being in first grade and it was raining outside and the teacher took you into the, uh, to the lunchroom uh, which, uh, you know, was set up like a basketball court and said, okay, we can't go outside for recess. So, um, you know, we're going to play, uh, uh, kickball. You remember kickball? Oh, like the, yeah. the red, uh, little all purpose, sitting right over there, all purpose ball. Happened, right. You know, and so that, you know, teacher, dodgeball, kickball. Yeah. yeah. Dodgeball, kickball. So, you know, you put, uh, it put, she'd put the class up there on the half court line you know, line everybody up and, and, uh, you know, she say, okay, John and Doug, you're the uh, team captains, pick your teams for kickball. And so, you know, you and I would go on opposite Whoa. sides and we would start looking at the lineup and we'd be like, okay, uh, you know, even though we were only in first grade, we knew we needed people who could kick people who could catch people mm. who could throw, uh, and you know, people and who wanted could, the best one and, and people who could run. And yeah. so, you know, after a couple of games of kickball, you sort of kind of knew like yeah. who the pentathletes were and who the people who Absolutely. weren't going to help your team win. And I'm like, hey, look, your job as a major in this brigade is to not be, you know, is to be among the first picked off of that half court yeah. line and not be the first, you know, the, the people picked last because you just, you know, nobody wants you on their team. Now, that was all tied towards competence, you know, oh, but yeah. hey, are you a good teammate? Are you the one who's basically like, yeah, hey, look, I did the homework assignment last night. We're all working on it. Like, here's what I came up with. And you freely offer it. And you let the, you know, mm -hmm. your peers benefit from the work that you've done and you're sharing your, 
Um, I think uh, I perhaps, I think uh, I got to that stage uh, eventually, um, perhaps with some influence from some of my mentors saying, hey, look, the higher up you go, the more it is about how well you operate with your peers mm -hmm. and what your peers think of you. Um, it's less about, you know, wanting to be the best company commander and maybe having some sharp, sharp elbows. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it's more about how you can make your peers good. And, you know, that's, mm. that's important. That's... And I think it works at, inside and outside the military. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. if you're constantly thinking about how your peers, uh, view you and are you seen as a good team player, yeah. then, um, you know, you can't help but be someone that people want around. Right. No, that's well said. Well said. Okay, so what are you doing now? I mean, you're out, you're retired. When did you retire? You retired. So just over two years ago, okay. uh, like two years and a month. Um, so you got some business so, things you've been doing. Um, yeah. You want to talk about any of that? Yeah, so I, I, I'm doing a handful of things that keep me busy and allow me to do things that I enjoy. Uh, they, they, they currently cover a pretty broad spectrum, but uh, I, I get a chance to, um, uh, I, I'm with, they call uh, I'm, I'm on the the group or on the bench of uh, folks that that get to call themselves senior mentors with the army, and so in that capacity, I get a chance to help uh, continue to uh, train our future leaders. What's that called? Uh, uh, it's the Army Senior Mentor Program, and so in that capacity, I uh, there are lots of different ways to 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 give back in that space, but I. Uh, operate through the Army War College, and uh, and so I, I get a chance to mentor our newly selected one-star generals every year as a small group seminar leader, like Cleary was mm -hmm. for us when you we were captains. You get to go actually, actually go. So we we you know it's a it's an annual uh, activity that typically occurs in Washington D.C. for a week, and we bring the newly selected cohort. They call it Charm School. They the, used to call thing? it that back in the day, uh, but now it's called something much. Fancier, fancier, like the senior leader development seminar okay. or something right. like that. But yeah, we just get a chance to help newly selected generals who, you know, mm -hmm. who, who uh, make that transition from um, indirect leadership as colonels to what the army now requires of them as enterprise leaders. And I've never yeah. heard that term. That must yeah. be a new buzz. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're steering, leader. you're helping the army steer the ocean liner now. You know, you're not down in the engine room anymore. You're not yeah. even responsible for a whole deck. You know, you're like actually yeah. helping understand, you know, yeah. how to help help the army steer yeah. the, the the whole cruise ship. Yeah. And um, you know, this enterprise yeah. leadership means you got to be on, you know, on, on a different plane yeah. um, for for understanding big picture, big army objectives, yeah. and where the army's trying to go, and how you are are you know. Uh, are contributing to help them achieve that vision. So I get a chance to do that. And then I also teach a course uh, at each of our theater armies uh, where uh, called theater army uh, staff officer orientated. It's the theater army staff officer course for captains through mm. colonels. And we, we go to each of the theater armies and help them understand the importance of a theater army. So I get a chance to give back to the army mm -hmm. in, in those two roles. That's maybe a month's worth of work a year. I do some corporate leader development with uh, an organization called Thayer Leadership, and, uh, and and so we provide leader development experiences um, for Fortune 500 companies uh, in all shapes and sizes, and we help them achieve their leader development 
objectives. How do they find you? I mean, I mean, like say I'm part of a Fortune 500 company. I mean, how 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 do those? I mean, do they find? Is it as a push pull? How 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 do those two entities get linked up? Yeah. So most of uh, that organization's business is called Thera Leadership, and they uh, they 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 basically just say, look, I'm looking for a leader development opportunity. Um, uh, I'm I'm looking for something with you know a lot of folks rely on on military background and experience to help uh, establish some leadership values and 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 teach some principles and tools that could be useful in corporate America, and so they look to uh, you know whatever it is they may search for um, mm -hmm. uh, you know most of of fairs uh, opportunities uh, you know they 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 come to them and they they just say okay now. We found you. Now let's help develop a, a program. And um, so that, I, I spend a, a good bit of time doing that. And then I, I do some consulting uh, for a number of uh, small, medium, and, and large companies uh, to help connect them uh, with the Army in most cases. Uh, I do some executive coaching uh, for um, a, a couple different organizations, uh, just helping mentor folks who might be uh, uh, presented with a new leadership challenge or maybe they've been promoted and they're just trying to grow into their new position. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I, I work at an outdoor gear store. Um, and, <laughs> I love uh, that. you know, I'm, I'm, I, You're a gear I, freak like I, I, I've been a, I've been a gear nut for like, you know, since I was about 12 and, um, I enjoy the outdoors. Uh, you and I enjoy the outdoors together. And I, you know, the outdoors is is more fun if you have the right gear. Uh, yeah. There's no such thing as bad weather, just bad gear. And um, I, uh, I'm just Doug when I'm there, and that's kind of like my golf course. Cool. And uh, I go there and um, I sell sleeping bags and tents and stoves and uh, and backpacks. Um, I got uh, a backpacks question for you, man, on, on gear. Yeah. Um, you know, I I've been in the the one thing I. I've, you know, I've experimented, you know, with lots of different, you know, gear, obviously I spent most of my life been outside, but the one piece of gear that I'm missing is, is a good lightweight, you know, weatherproof, rainproof. And I, and I gotta say, it's gotta be Gore-Tex, right? I mean, I don't know if there's another, you know, if there's any other material out there that, that repels water, but you know, here in Florida, and I, I've learned this even at Camp Hackett or other places throughout the world, you know, wherever I've gone to do my thing, a good outer shell, you know, that's got a hood on it, that's made really well, um, you know, got to have good zippers on it. It's got to be quiet. That's the other thing. I mean, because I, I went, I might, and, and camouflaged, you know, too, right? I mean, it would be great if they offered it in, in something other than camouflage too. But, and I know they're out there. I just don't really have, I don't have one right now, and I have never really had one that I liked a lot. Like the Army's Gore-Tex, that lightweight Gore-Tex, that that thing just at least the one I had it didn't keep you dry. I can tell you that. So I'm just curious. Do you have uh, or is anybody out there making something like that? Like a, a I mean, lightweight and breathable and and like waterproof. Is there anything out there like that for a jacket? Um, certainly there is. Really, I mean, you know, it, 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 good gear comes at a cost and yeah. you know, the more bells and whistles and features that you want. Yeah. Um, it is sometimes just like buying a, a car or truck that 
is the be all and end all and you can use it for every possible thing you need the ideal vehicle for right like you might uh need more than one jacket you might need two yeah. um you know one that kind of is the camouflage quiet waterproof breathable one that meets those needs and then one that's the the the, the waterproof breathable um but not camouflage and maybe not quiet that you could use on the boat sure. or around right. town right. or whatever right. so there might right. be two but does exist, you know, Gore-Tex is still the industry is leading it? fabric and, uh, you know, waterproof, but also breathable. There are other Gore-Tex like fabrics that are, um, almost as good and, mm -hmm. and comparable, maybe a little bit less money. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're out there, you know, um, and we can talk about that offline. Let's can, do that. Yeah, you know, that. Yeah. That's the one piece of gear that, cause yeah. like you say, I mean, the, the it's tough to have too many jackets though. Well, I, you know, that's well, what I tell that's what yeah. I tell, you know, everybody who comes into this, well, this job. The problem is, like, if you ask me, like, it, you can go online and you can see, like, thousands of brand names that are out there, okay, that 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 are, say that this does this, that, and the other thing. Problem is, today, like, if you're, if you're you know, ha, ha, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm not very tall. I'm built more like a fire hydrant than I am anything else. So something that fits well, okay, and has those properties is like one in a million for a guy like me. It just it's just, and then the other thing is, it, if I want to wear it like up in you know where it's cold, you know where it might be below freezing, this thing it doesn't have. I don't want it to have any insulated properties. I just want it to keep me dry, and I want it to be quiet, and I want it to have enough room in it so that I can wear a couple layers of something. You know, so I don't know. I just feel like I'm always in this you know perpetual mode of finding that piece of gear that I don't have but that it's the one thing that uh, uh that's my Achilles heel right now in terms of gear but anyway um so we talked a lot about a, a, a lot of things here Doug um is there anything on your mind that you'd like to share with us that we haven't talked about well I would just uh as we sort of tie this conversation back to um, your foundation, which, you know, for those who might be listening, who might not be aware, I mean, John retired, uh, at, at about the 20 year point, like you said, um, and said, you know what, um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to establish this foundation that takes care of our nation's combat wounded purple heart recipients and provides them a unique and special opportunity that, uh, that they can't get anywhere else. And, you know, I've been, along this journey with him since the beginning. And I've listened to him talk about it. We've, we've, we've uh, talked about it over, over the years. And, I, and I've watched it grow to what it is today, which is really a remarkable foundation, which has served many, I mean, literally hundreds over uh, the, the last over a decade. Um, but, uh, you know, one of its strengths, uh, perhaps its primary strengths and its uniqueness is that it connects a group of people former soldiers, Marines, men and women who have served our nation and fought for uh, democracy, whether it was ours or someone else's, mm -hmm. uh, and were combat wounded, um, and, and therefore were part of something larger than themselves. They were part of a team of a, a brotherhood, sisterhood, um, that was the, a unit uh, that went and did something important on behalf of our nation, uh, and 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 experience that in a positive way, and then you know we're wounded in some capacity, and 
as part of that healing process, the foundation uh, is particularly uh, useful and helpful to provide these world-class outdoor sporting events for our nation's combat wounded and, and allow them to connect again with like-minded individuals who have a similar background, who uh, uh, come together for a shared passion uh, for the outdoors and, and get a chance to, to, to you know, have that positive experience. And it's changed the lives of, of, uh, of you know, everybody that uh, has been fortunate enough to benefit from one of their events. And I would submit, John, that, uh, you know, that's, that's part of what has fueled our relationship, right? You know, we met because of our shared passion for being infantrymen and young captains that were just out there trying to uh, be the best that we possibly could be. And we were watching our peers and we enjoyed the team that we were on and we enjoyed the challenge and we were, and we were looking for the next one and that fueled our relationship initially then we realized that we both also had a shared passion for the outdoors mm-hmm. and you turned that passion into uh, what is now the foundation. Uh, and we get a chance to continue to work together, yeah. making that foundation into, you know, what it's going to be next year. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I just as a way to kind of say, uh, you know, uh, we've been, uh, we've been hanging out, telling stories and enjoying each other's company for, when we decided it was uh, 32 32 years so long time um, but uh the foundation is uh you know what an incredible byproduct of of uh uh you know John's passion for service and our nation um but for outdoor sporting as well and kind of brings all that together yeah well I appreciate the kind words Doug um yeah you know I I've said this before I, I I think that, uh, I guess, you know, going back to the, the genesis of all of it, but, you know, we don't have to rehack much of that, but I would say, um, and I, I reckon you probably have some of the same, you know, feelings, but like you just showed me some pictures of your, of your camp when you were, you know, hunting in Virginia and in the, in, in the, in the hills of, you know, uh, of Virginia of deer hunting. Yeah. Here's your camp. You know, there's a, tent and a fire and you know it's dark it's just you know you the old stove you got you know a little table in your tent and you're deer hunting you know but you did that i'm assuming that was a solo mission right right because you you didn't come with me i did not come with you i was i was invited and i didn't go at last fall correct um we can talk about that but, but you've uh, been with me on other yeah occasions. oh yes i yeah. have we have but my point is this that you went you, you did that as a solo activity, although I, I probably should have been there with you. Um, I admit that. But <clears throat> point is, you did it as a solo activity, which is how I do probably, other than, you know, with my boys and the, the, the events that we do for the foundation, you know, I most particularly enjoy doing those things alone. I actually like and prefer, you know, to do... Uh, a lot of my outdoor sporting activities alone. Um, not all of them, okay? And I love sharing the experience as well uh, with heroes and family and friends. I, I genuinely do. 
but I, I love to do it most like alone. If you were to say, you know, what one thing would I, you know, if you just had, uh, you know, another day to do something, you know, in the outdoor sporting arena and that was going to be your last thing, what would you do? Well, to me, that's an easy answer. You know, I would, I would go, I, I would, I would go trapping, you know, uh, you know, I would go up to Camp Hackett and I would uh, set up a trap line and, and, that's a solo activity, you know, and I could talk about that for, for days, but at the end of the day, why, you know, I say, why is that, you know, well, not why is it just, do I like doing it solo, but it's what it does for me inside to be, you know, inside of me, uh, to be outdoors amongst them, you know, as we like to say, the critters, the animals, you know, the great, you know, with all the things that you see, the things that you hear, the things that you experience, you know, all of that just dials me right in and grounds me, humbles me, makes me whole. Um, just does a, so much for me, like inside of me. Can't really, I, I'm not even doing a good job of describing it, but that, that's, that's what I have. That's the feeling that I have when I go do it. And whatever that might be, whether it's out here in the Bay, you know, uh, here in Tampa Bay or up at Camp Hackett or wherever it might be, you know, there's something to that for me, and I just figured that there might be something to that for others. You know, and 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 to to be able to share that now broadly with with people that I don't know, ninety five percent of whom are greater, I'll never meet. You know, I think uh, last year we did, I think we reported thirty two missions. No, I'm sorry, forty two missions in like thirty five different states. Um, serving, you know, 202, I think it was, combat-wounded Purple Heart recipients on those missions. I'll, I'm, I'll get to see it on Facebook and social media, you know, but I'll never meet those guys. But I just look at their smiles, you know, and I, and I read their testimonials. And, uh, you know, I just feel like probably the most blessed guy in the world to be a small part of that, you know, to be somebody who, who, who helped, you know, make that happen or facilitated that. Um, you know, and that's it, you know, and you, I, I would imagine you have that same, that's why I look, when I look, when you show me those pictures of your tent, your, your camp, and I was like, wow, you know, he did that, he did that solo, and I, I got a huge amount of respect for that, but, I mean, you go out in the woods, well, what, what does it do for you? I mean, why, why are you, why, why are you drawn to that? Yeah, well, you know, I, I look to each fall in the deer stand as an annual centering activity for me. Yeah. Uh, people talk about zeroing their moral compass. You know, it's not so much about moral compass. To mm -hmm. me, it's just sort of a zeroing activity, centering activity that sort of, uh, you know, I got, I get some of my, you know, best thinking done, yeah. uh, you know, 15 feet above the ground, yeah. um, not seeing anything uh, yeah. or, you know, enjoying uh, watching the sun come up uh, yeah. and kind of reflecting on, Hey, you know, where am I? How was this year? How, yeah. you know, what's, what's next? Uh, what key milestones are out there? What do I want to do over the course of the next two years, three years, whatever it is? I, I get, uh, I, I, I look forward to that opportunity each year. Um, I've, I've gotten back into hiking, backpacking a little bit more, um, uh, you know, since retirement. And in fact, spent the first 30 days of, uh, my transition leave, uh, logging, uh, several hundred miles on the Appalachian Trail and, and did that solo. And, you know, walked the whole North Carolina-Tennessee border 
by myself for about three weeks. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, you know, not that you don't see other people, not yeah. that you don't, um, meet others. Uh, but you know, to me, it's, it's very much a, um, you know, uh, it's you against, um, nature or you with nature kind of being part of it, whatever it throws at you, whatever mother nature throws at you, you got to deal with weather, yeah. um, challenges, terrain, um, and you got to overcome that. And, um, I just like that challenge. I like yeah. that personal sense of accomplishment. I like being able to go out and feel confident and competent to exist, survive and thrive in the outdoors yeah. with my knowledge, with my experience, with my gear. I, there's, you know, weather conditions, circumstances. Um, I like that yeah. challenge. And, uh, I think that's part of what makes, uh, the outdoor sporting events that the foundation puts on, mm -hmm. um, you know, so, uh, uh, constructive, uh, mm -hmm. for, for the heroes. Yeah. You know, we, uh, we're, we're in the process of, uh, we're, well, we've been doing it for two years. We're not done yet. We had a survey, you know, with the support of Cornell university that we're doing, and, uh, you know, asking these, uh, you know, the, the participants, the combat wounded who attend our events, a series of questions, you know, asking them to reflect on how they felt before the event and, and after the event sort of thing to kind of, you know, get some metrics on, uh, you know, what we're doing and, 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 and quantitatively, you know, uh, what it's doing for them, for the heroes that we're serving. And, and a couple of the questions were on uh, or are on uh, self reliance and self-esteem and um it's interesting uh we don't we we're, we haven't you know fully disclosed what the survey says we we need to get a yeah i think like 50 more to get to 300 respondents to make it scientifically uh more uh concrete i guess is what the scientists are telling us but anyway it's interesting because um you know, what they tell us, like, for example, contrasting, and I'll, I'll get to what they say about self-reliance and self-esteem and our activities. Um, and we'll obviously publish a report when this is all, all done. But, um, you know, when you say, we ask a question about connectedness to other veterans, and, and, and I, I want to say like 80%, I think it's 79% uh, say that they feel greater connect connections to veterans after one of our events. And to me, that's kind of like a no-brainer. Of course, we would expect that, right? They're on an event with other combat wounded. You know, they're doing a world-class sporting activity. We would expect them at the end of that mission to feel more connected. Like, I guess it could have felt less. I would say it is a possible outcome uh, that they feel less or about the same. Um, but when you ask them about self-reliance or self-esteem, they, what, what the response we're getting is about 50% that they feel more self-reliant or their self-esteem has improved. And, and I'm, I'm wondering, you know, why that is? Why is that not as high as the, the question of connectedness to veterans? And we'll get there, um, you know, and maybe understand, uh, you know, as we study the data, it's still pretty good. One out of two people saying they feel better about themselves or they feel 
that they can rely on themselves more after uh, you know one of our activities. Um, Dr. Uh, Keith Tidball from Cornell, when he and I were chatting about this, he said, well, you know, it's interesting because most people that join the military, by and large, are more self-reliant than the average person out there. Um, you know, they, 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 they uh, and then the military makes them, it improves that condition, you know, to be self-reliant, you know. Um, but there's something, I think, something to that. And I, I think when I go out there and do things by myself, um, like, there's no help coming when you're at Camp Hack. Like, if something bad happens when I'm out there in my trap line in the middle of nowhere, you know. They might not find you till spring. Exactly. Right. And if I'm still there, I mean, I would imagine I, that the, the, the critters would probably take, might be some of your fabric, your fancy Gore-Tex might be there. But, yeah, um, that's, to me, that's a, that's, a big, that's a big deal. I don't know why that is, but I, I, I share your same sense there. I mean, that's, it's a really important thing for me to do, um, like an annual thing where I'm up there or someplace doing something, you know, by myself. Uh, because there's no one coming. If, if it didn't turn out well, then you don't have anybody to blame but yourself. And see, I like to put myself in those positions. I don't know why. I don't, I don't make bad decisions. I try not to make, but sometimes I do. I mean, I get myself, I get myself sometimes in a, in a position that I shouldn't be in, or I later look back on it and go, hey, hey, dumbass, don't do that again, okay? Because you were about that close on that one. Please don't do that again, you know? But I don't know why. I just enjoy that aspect of it a, a, a lot, and and it's not to me. It's it's not about harvesting, you know, uh, you know, uh, an animal uh, per se. Uh, although I'm usually chasing something, um, and it, it's great, you know, when I am successful at doing that. It's just not necessary, you know, to make that 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 to close that loop for me. But Anyway, well, let's, we've, we've been at it for a while here. I just want to say thanks, you know. Thanks for what you've done for our country, what you've done for the foundation, you know, uh, what you've done uh, for all those whose lives you've, you've touched uh, while they were wearing a uniform, um, and, and what you've done for me personally, you know, as a, as a friend. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're a great American. I, uh, I respect you a great deal, um, and, and I really enjoy your company, and I appreciate you taking the time uh, to come here and, and chat with us and, and share some of your experiences to, uh, to our listening audience, audience. I appreciate that, Doug. Well, likewise, um, yeah, it's been my pleasure. And, uh, you know, everybody's probably got that short list of people that if they get in a bind, yeah. maybe it's not out laying traps, uh, yeah. a trap line up in Wisconsin, but if, you know, if they get in a bind or they just need, you know, somebody to talk to, they got that short list of people uh, who know them well enough uh, inside and out and have, uh, you know, been around long enough where, uh, you know, they're going to, that phone call, that conversation or that, you know, 911 uh, uh, call, they know that they're going to, they're going to get a response and you know you're certainly on that short list for me and have been for a long time and uh so the 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 respect the 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 trust the admiration it's mutual and um it's great to get great to be down here in uh, Apollo Beach at the at the at the home or the headquarters of the foundation <laughs> catching up and uh 
uh, great sharing time with you today. Yep. Well, we'll uh, we're gonna go grab some some dinner here and uh, and and maybe uh, maybe a little brown water uh, nightcap or something like that. But for all you folks out there listening, we appreciate your time. Uh, this is the Honor Connect Heal podcast with the WWIA. Appreciate you tuning in. Have a great day. To learn more about the mission of the Wounded Warriors in Action Foundation and how you can get involved, please visit our website at www.iaf.org or follow our social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you for listening to the WWIA podcast and for helping us honor, connect, and heal our combat-wounded Purple Heart heroes through the power of the great outdoors. If you like what you're listening to here and would like to join our team in our mission to bring healing power and recovery to America's Purple Heart heroes, please become part of our Sponsor a Hero team by clicking on the link in the podcast notes or by going to wwiaf.org forward slash sponsor. That's wwiaf.org forward slash sponsor. Our heroes need you now more than ever. Thank you.